Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, academic, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I hold space for women and non-binary individuals to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for being here today and enjoy the episode. everyone. Today I'm here with Valerie. After losing her daughter to drugs and murder, Valerie started on a journey to create a blueprint that embraces courage as its North Star. Now her story is a compass that guides others towards a path of recovery, hope, and unbreakable strength. She helps other women to overcome the grip of shame, guilt, grief, and paralyzing fear so they can live a life of joy where adversity no longer writes the rules. Valerie is award-winning author, mentor, and fun and engaging speaker who is relatable and empowering. She is the creator of the Nine Weapons of Hope and founder and champion of Warriors in Hope. So Valerie, um, what's the name of your book or books? Is it on Amazon? Yes, I have different books. My first book was called Still Standing After All the Tears. Uh, I have a book called Misery, You Don't Get My Company. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have some workbooks and I'm actually working on a book right now and, and I keep changing the working title. So I don't even know what that's going to be. Great. So I'm going to link those up um, in the show notes so people can grab a copy because sometimes they listen. They're like, I want more. Where can I get more? Um, and so that's always good to have uh, out there in the 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 ether. ether. I was like, what is this word that I'm trying to think of? Sometimes my brain <laughs> Thank is you. like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Uh, so, <laughs> Valerie, you, as your bio alludes to, you went through some pretty serious shit. Uh, yeah. I would love f- for you to kick it off. Um, some people have struggled with addiction themselves. Some people may have a um, child who struggles with addiction. What was your journey like with your daughter? You know what, Megan, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your show. I so appreciate it. Um, You know, I think my story is similar to a lot of stories that I hear in that my daughter, Jamie, was brilliant. You know, people think it's this, you know, like the bad seed or something from day one. My daughter was brilliant. She played select softball. She went to youth group. She had a great family. Uh, She got good grades. She was popular. There, There was... There was no thing that, you know, people want to pinpoint the thing. Um, But Jamie just all of a sudden went off the rails when she was 15. And little by little, she quit everything. And there was a guy involved. And I thought, you know, he's probably in a gang. I had this feeling like this is a bad person. And we spent three years trying to stop the train. We couldn't. There's nothing we could do. And, you know, what's interesting is that people think they have control. Well, they think they have control over anything in their life, which the list is short, what we really have control over. But certainly our kids and I hear people go, well, I always knew where my kids were. No, you didn't. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, God, I hope my mom never knew where I was half the time. But <laughs> but the point is, is that, you know, we did everything we could figure out to do, you know, and like mm-hmm. I used to tell Jamie, you know, the, the section in the parenting manual that I don't, that I can't seem to find on what to do when your child is on a freight train headed toward a brick wall missing sorry Mm -hmm. don't have that you know so we struggled our way through it it was just it really it was it was a terrible three-year period but one morning 
I got the news that my daughter had been shot. She was 18 years old and she was shot by that ex-boyfriend who did turn out to be a gang member. We didn't live anywhere near that type of environment. I mean, it was absolutely devastating, shocking. Um, my, it was a, a, an abdominal gunshot wound. We were told she was lucky to even survived. They opened her up from her breastbone to her pubic bone, flayed her wow. up in like a fish to basically to stop the bleeding and then, you know, sew her back up and see if she would live. Mm -hmm. And miraculously she did, you know, and I just thought everything was going to be okay because I thought I didn't know that much about addiction, even though, you know, I was a, a teenager in the seventies. And if you didn't smoke pot, you got arrested, you know, right. so it's kind of like, it wasn't as if I didn't know about partying, but I didn't have an addictive personality at all. If I didn't want to do something, mm -hmm. I just didn't do it. Well, so anyway, I didn't understand a lot of this. And so she was obviously in a bad place already. And one night she in the hospital where she was unregistered. I mean, it was this whole crazy thing we were in, this nightmare. She just, in the middle of the night, she goes, mommy, will you pray with me? And I'm not one of these praying out loud. I'm not that person, but that night I was. Yeah. And I thought, this is it. You know, this is the, the rock bottom you hear about with people. This is the thing. How much worse could life get? And so afterwards, I thought, I'm going to get my daughter back. Nothing could be further from the truth, Megan. Nothing. It was like, basically I had to buckle down my shoulder harness and you know, my seatbelt because my ride on the roller coaster from hell got a lot worse. Mm. Um, so over the next, basically Jamie got addicted to the oxy they gave her in the hospital after the surgery. Um, and then uh, over the next decade, I had to use the word heroin and Jamie in the same sentence. Mm. I'll never forget the first day I did it was like an out-of-body experience. It was like the same out-of-body experience I had in that hospital going, how the hell can this be my life? My right. life was so amazing. You know, I kind of had a bit of a shit show for a childhood and, but I'd really overcome all of that. And I was, I didn't raise my kids in that kind of a chaotic environment. They had a great home and I didn't understand how this could be happening. It must be my fault. It must be that I'm being punished for something. It was that one thing I did. It was those two things I did. Let me go through the list of everything I ever said to her did, didn't do. So this is what happens to parents when their beloved children enter into addiction is we beat the hell out of ourselves. Right. Um, trying to, because we want to know, right? People want to know. We have inquiring mm -hmm. minds. We want to figure out the reason. I don't know why, because it's not like we can go backwards, but everybody wants to know why. And so we, we do that to ourselves. And so we... It, basically end up living this life of shame and guilt and paralyzing mm -hmm. fear. There's a lot more emotions that, that are in, involved, but those are basically the things. So I kind of describe it like I'm on this roller coaster from hell. And if you've been on a roller coaster, typically there's an end point, right? They, right. Right. They, you know, pull back the safety bar and say, have a nice day. And this ride didn't seem to have an end. So, I mean, I'm not going to talk about the Jerry Springer episode. That was my life because anybody who's dealt with this knows, but I mean, we're talking ankle bracelets and, and um, all sorts of just craziness and her not showing up and me rescuing here and paying for this and bailing her out of that and bail bonds and, you know, things that you just never imagine ever dealing with in your life. Mm -hmm. And, but at the same time, I always told her, I know who you are, Jamie, I see you, you know, this is your addiction beast. This is not you. Um, she always knew how much I loved her, but it was, it was rough. 
So 13 years into this ride, I find myself standing in my kitchen one day and you know how you think about things and you think, I better not say that out loud. And right. I, I don't know about you. I have a feeling, Megan, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes mm -hmm. words fly out of our mouths and we don't know why we said that. That day I said to my husband, I don't want to be here anymore. It's too hard. Yeah. And, you know, so here's this guy and he's Jamie's stepfather, but he's looking at me with this look. The only other time I saw him have this terrible look is when he told me that she'd been shot the first time. And I said, I thought, oh, this poor guy, I'm the person he loves most in this world. And there's nothing more he would like than to stop whatever is causing me all this pain. But what's causing me all this pain is my daughter. Right. So it's an impossible situation for him. And, but what happened, here's the, the good thing sometimes about us reaching a, a, a point of no return, so to speak, is that you kind of go, wow, those words came out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. They went into my ears, into my head, my heart. I said that. And it was kind of almost like, uh, you know, in that moment, I was standing at a crossroads and I thought, so this is not fair to my son. My son, Sean, was two years, is two years younger than Jamie. And I thought, this isn't fair to him. He's losing his only sibling, his first best friend. He's going to lose his mom too. Right. You know, and then what do I show him? I show him that when the times get tough, you turn and run. You know, you stay in the walk-in closet and cry. You crawl inside the hole in your heart. You you give up. And I thought, you know what? I'm standing here with an opportunity to show my son that no matter how hard life gets, he's going to have a role model, somebody that stood up in their darkest days. And and it wasn't like, oh, I stood up and life was so peachy. You know? Right. I mean, Right. I had no idea where I was going or how I was going to get there, but somehow I clawed my way through and just used every bit of wisdom I'd ever thought of. I prayed my brains that I cried a bazillion tears at all of it. And then I came up with what I put in my first book called the nine actions to battle your beast. And I've kind of retooled now to the nine weapons of hope because you learn a lot as you go along in life. I hope. Right. Right. So anyway, I did that. Um, it's not like my heart wasn't broken, but I had to find self-destruction was no longer an option mm -hmm. because that's what I was doing. I was self-destructing. And um, because the, the just the mere thought of not being able to save your child, no matter how old they are, is I can't even describe how helpless it is and hopeless. Mm -hmm. And you think, you know, I must be a terrible mother because I should be able to save her. I should be able to, I'm the one. Anyway, so then you know, I wrote Still Standing After All the Tears and I, I started to get myself better. And thank God, literally, that I did because on another August morning, 12 years and 12 days after that shooting, we got the knock on the door. Mm. And it's the knock on the door that that every parent dreads no matter what your children were doing, nobody can right. fathom that knock. Um, and it was a woman from the coroner's office, a, an officer to deliver the news that Jamie had been murdered. And wow. yeah. And so, I mean, losing your child in any way, there's no, it's all the same. Uh, but it was just so unexpected. You can't prepare, even though you could say, well, mm -hmm. you know, she was an addiction. You kind of had to know these things don't end well. There aren't a lot of old addicts out there. Right. Right. Um, I don't even honestly, by the way, I don't even like to call them addicts, even though I'm not trying to bury my head in the sand, but I don't like to just completely label people that way because I believe I know who they are underneath. 
they're living with this beast. I mean, that's the way I describe mm-hmm. it with this thing that's attached itself to them. Right. But anyway, there aren't any old people in addiction. So even though we kind of knew you can't prepare for this, Megan, and it was mm-hmm. shocking. And then to hear the, the M word, because that happens to people on Dateline in 48 hours. Right. That doesn't happen to you and me. That doesn't happen. We don't live in a world where people shoot each other. Now I'm saying it twice. I mean, wow. So, um, and you know, obviously it was devastating, but you know how I told you I had that moment when I said that I didn't want to be here and it was pivotal. Yeah. It happened again. And the day after she was killed, Sean was with me, my son, this big old guy and he had his arms around me. And, and I said, one of those questions that you don't expect an answer to, you know, those rhetorical questions. Mm-hmm. I just said to him, how am I going to live without her? Yeah. And he said with such grace and such, and he didn't say it like, you know, hello, what about me? Right. He said with such conviction that I, I believed it as truth in that moment. He said, because you have another child, mom, that's how. And it was like, the warrior that was already inside of me rose up. Did I still spend two weeks in the guest room crying all night long, unable to sleep? You know, did I still, do I still grieve? Of course. But it was that moment when I knew, I knew that that warrior inside me would rise up and that I would be more determined than ever to help other people out of the darkness, whatever they face. I mean, their stories don't have to be the same as mine at all. Right. Right. When we go through loss, adversity, challenges, trauma, the feelings are all the same. So that that's, that's basically that part of my life story. Wow. I mean, you're right though. Uh, Being a parent does not come with a handbook. I have a 20 year old daughter and right now she's going through some stuff and I'm like, what do, what do I say? How do I, it wasn't, a, it's not addiction, not to say like better, worse, whatever. Um, but I just wanted to clarify, she's going through some personal things. She's married and she's going through some personal things with her husband. And I'm just like, what, what do I do right now? There's no handbook to tell me how to parent through this. Like I try to give some advice, And then she calls me the next day and I'm like, I don't know what else to say. (laughs) Like, how do I help? Yeah. You don't know how to just listen when it's your kid. You don't know how to just listen. You have to try to fix it. It's the, the bandaid, the boo-boo that I kiss the owie. We want to, we, we don't want our kid. You know, I remember when you would, and by the way, can I just say to your listeners that we're recording this audio, but I can see you on video. You have a 20 year old kid. (laughs) I was a teen mom. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, get into your personal no, life. Good. Wow. <laughs> I've shared that many times on the podcast. I, uh, I let go of the shame of that a long time ago. It happened. It was a thing I was able to decide. I decided to keep my daughter and here we are today. Now I have a married 20 year old daughter. <laughs> wow. Like, Isn't that amazing? Nobody tells you what to do in these moments. <laughs> no, but remember when you had to discipline your daughter and I don't know if you ever said it, but we've all thought it. If, if, even if we didn't say it, we go, this hurts me as much as you. And yeah, your kid's looking at you like, well, I don't see you grounded. How's this hurting you? <laughs> but truly we feel their pain. 
you know? And so there would be times I would be sitting here going, I'd be flossing my teeth, you know, my dutiful teeth flossing every night. And I would think, Jamie has such beautiful teeth. I wonder if she's flossing her teeth. Really? She's out putting needles in her body somewhere. And I'm wondering if she's flossing her teeth. Right. I mean, you can't help it as a parent though. Like you can't. And I can understand also that heartbreaking look that your spouse gave you. Um, In 2013, I had a suicide attempt and I saw that heartbreaking look too. That same, I'm sure it's the same damn look, you know, like so helpless. And so like, I, like they want to fix it, right? They want to to do something for us, but they can't, like there's nothing they can do, but be there. And yeah, I, so I totally get the heartbreaking look that can cross your spouse's face when you're like, I just can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm just done. Yeah. And you know how they feel like you, when your daughter calls about her issues and you can't fix it, right? They feel exactly the same way. How? And I used to think, well, he just doesn't like her because right. when we got married, she was 12 and Sean was 10 and, and Jamie was strong-willed. Listen, I'm, I'm reading the strong-willed <laughs> child when my daughter's one. So it's not like a surprise that she did life her way, but right. But, um, you know, they definitely clashed. And so I, I used to think, you know, you don't, you just don't like her. And let me tell you, I got to a point where, when I was enabling Jamie and trying to save her and bailing her out of everything and, you know, basically helping her with her addiction without thinking I was, right. I mean, I got to a point where I literally thought, you know what, if I have to choose between my husband and my daughter, even though she was an adult, yeah, I have to choose between saving her and not buy rich, have a nice life. Right. Uh, and th- I mean, whoa, so glad it didn't, that didn't happen. Um, in fact, our marriage is better than ever, you know, since she died, we've really been able to band together. But anyway, I just was relating to that, that need to save our children. It's a bond. We don't have that bond with other people. Right. Not that type of bond. Exactly. There's nothing like raising this human being whether we did it right or wrong or whatever oh, is there a right way tell me about that I don't right way know. <laughs> I, people seem to think that there's a right way you see all these social media posts where especially somebody who just has a baby they just had a baby and they're like oh all these judgy posts about like what to do and what not to do and I'm like you just wait you just exactly until you're like in this moment you got a teenager who's being rebellious or you have a 20 year old nobody tells you how hard it is to parent an adult child you have a 20 year old who's doing things and you're like please just stop like can you just get your shit together and it's not happening and nobody nobody knows that when you have a baby you think this is going to be easy. I know how to do this. I'm going to be the best parent in the world. There is and no right you can path. be, And you can be and still things happen. That's the thing. Someone said to me, I was actually a guest on a podcast and it was a woman who had lost her daughter. And before we were, we were talking before we were recording, I don't think it's actually on the podcast, but she said, you know, I did this as a parent and that, and she had this experience and she laid out the life. And honestly, right. I'm going, wow, I want to be her kid. I mean, it seemed like a pretty awesome life. Yeah. Um, and then she said, but in the end, none of it mattered. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're wrong. It all mattered. All of it matters. You know, for me to erase, 
my role as Jamie's mom, my influence over her, for me to, to think that nothing I did mattered because her story, her physical being on this earth ended in that way. No, not true. I mean, so many people have contacted me and told me what a great friend Jamie is and was wow. and what a good person she was. And um, even in this, we did a preliminary hearing, by the way, my daughter died seven years ago, August 28th. And I know this is airing after August 28th, but so seven years and um, we just had a preliminary hearing. Wow. That's how long it's taking to, to hopefully get to justice. But at that preliminary hearing, three people who live in, who are in the addiction world came as witnesses for the record. And you know what is interesting? Not one single one of them got anything out of it. Nothing. There's no nothing for them to gain, but there's a lot for them to lose. They were all threatened. Right. And it was a, a dangerous for them to do it. And they all came and showed up for her. And wow. that tells me something. Um, I got messages from Jamie saying how, how lucky she was to have me for a mom. She even told me in the middle of the whole addiction thing, when I was like, you have no idea what it's like for me to blah, blah, blah. And she goes, mom, this isn't about you. Wow. I know it's affecting you, but this is not about you. You're a great mom. This is not, you know, your journey. Um, but one thing I think is really, really, really important um, for anybody, any of your listeners that might be going through, you know, any kind of a dark, dark time, um, especially anyone who has a family member in addiction, is that after I stood up to fight, after I wrote my first book, Still Standing After All the Tears, which by the way, Jamie had a copy of that and a workbook in her possessions. Wow. After she died. Yeah. Um, but one of the last, the last communication we ever had via email she said to me, mommy, she called me mommy, even at 30. Oh, I know that <laughs> breaks. That awesome? You're just like, what? Oh, I know. I just so awesome, your heart. She said, mommy, I'm so proud of you. I tell everybody about you. This is what's important. Not that that was a beautiful message for me because it was, and it was a gift, but I think it it's like a message I need to carry to other people because this is what's important. She wasn't proud of me when I was guilt tripping her. When I was placing my happiness on her shoulders, she wasn't guilt tripping me when I was crying in the walk-in closet, when I was yelling at her, when I was all of the stuff I was doing, when I was so desperate and didn't know what to do. She was proud of me when I stood up to reclaim my own life, to yeah. work on myself, to get myself on a good path and to quit just, you know, following along her path. Um, right. I think that's so important because what good is it if we both self-destruct? Right. Then how can you be there for her if you self-destruct? Like, what's going to, what would have happened if she suddenly came to you and was ready, right? Was ready to yeah. let it all go permanently and you had self-destructed. Yeah, exactly. That's such, that's such a good point that, you know, it comes up occasionally, but it probably should be brought up more often that. In, and that does happen. I was actually on another podcast just happens to be, uh, but this was a, a guy who's in recovery field. Yeah. And he said that all the time that they will actually see people in addiction and it could be somebody that's not in addiction. It could be whatever they're recovering from. And they they're down the path mm. and their loved ones are back there just causing problems, making it yeah. harder because 
because they've allowed their lives to. And, and by the way, it's understandable. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. like when you heard my story, do you think it would be understandable if, uh, if I just self-destructed or gave up? Yeah, absolutely. You'd empathize with that, right? Mm-hmm. Who would blame me? But you know what I decided one day? I would blame me. That's just not an option. Yeah. And you had somebody else, right? You had two other people and everybody life. has someone else. And that's why some exactly. people say to me, yeah, but you had another child. That was my only child, but you have someone. Mm-hmm. There's always someone in your life. And you know, what's even, even really more important, Megan, there are people in our lives. We haven't even met yet. You and I met today. Right. Yeah. What about the people whose lives we can touch that we don't even know yet? What right. if this suicide attempt had been successful for you? Right. You wouldn't be here touching lives. And can I just say that I'm really glad you're not very good at it? <laughs> you can, but you can also thank my spouse because he was a uh, quick acting. He was very quick acting on that front. Uh, if it if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't be here today. So wow. see, yeah. somebody needed you. So imagine what, I wonder what his life would be like had that happened. Right. At the time I thought his life would be better, but now I was like, we've been married almost 13 years. Uh, so it was 2013, not 2003. I don't know why I always say 2003. So that was like 10 years ago. I can't even imagine like the things we've been through. Like what about your last daughter? 10 years? What, what might know- her life be like? Or all my kids. I have four kids. Oh, you do? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God bless so, you. Can you. Can you feel me bowing down to you? You have four children. <laughs> you, know, you said something earlier, Megan, that kind of, that's exactly what I think. I remember have, I remember when Jamie was born, my first child. And I thought, there's no question in my mind. I can keep her safe. I can teach her everything she needs to know. Mm-hmm. She's not going to do all the stupid things I did and blah, 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 because I know what to do. Right. right. We think we have that much power. I got the super mom cape and I know how to use it. Right. Yeah. We think we have all the answers in the beginning. We think we do until something happens and you're like, oh, I really don't have all the answers. <laughs> yeah, I actually have very few. Exactly. And nobody, nobody can warn you because their path and their life and how, what they experience with their children is different than what you're going to in your path in your life. So nobody can give you the, the blueprints to say, this is what you need to do. No, there's no magic answer. There's no, just like when I told you that the, these moms that go, I always knew where my kids were, stop it. Okay. (laughs) Right. You know, just knock that off. You don't know. And, you know, and then all the judgy people you were talking about, I thought the other day, I go, I'm going to have a perfect people party. I'm going to have it in a phone booth (laughs) and there'll be room left over. Right. I mean, who are these people that think their lives are so perfect or try to pretend their lives are perfect and that they have the answer for this? I'm the first person to say, I thought I'm 61. I thought at 61, I'd know a hell of a lot more than I know now, (laughs) right? There's always something more to learn. I think we forget that, that there's something there's, we don't, we will never know everything. There is always something new to learn. There's always room to grow. If I always say, if, if you aren't growing, then you're stagnant and the world is just going to pass you by. 
Yes. Right. And we never know what's up around the next corner. Right. We think while you're out there busily, busily planning your life and that's fine. Having goals and and taking care of business. You have no idea. Forget tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in the next hour. Right. You know, I call it life's two by fours. I mean, you never know when when a two by four is going to whack you upside the head. And that's just why I, I try to help people to build courage, because I believe that fear is at the core of everything that keeps us back. It's attached to everything. You know, we're afraid of what people think. We're afraid we're going to fail. We're going to afraid be afraid we don't have the answers. We're afraid of um, the future, right? right? We're afraid of so many things. We just fear and it keeps us down, holds us back. I'm sure you felt a little fear when you first did this podcast, when you started it. Oh, yeah. Please don't listen to the first couple yeah, but, of episodes. But you did were... it anyway. And yeah. so that's the whole thing. There's no such thing as fearless. I mean, I, I like the word. It's kind of cool, but it's really not a thing. Right. Okay. We can fear less, but there's no such thing as being fearless. The the most, I mean, the strongest warriors out there, I don't care what they're doing, feel fear. The difference is, is that we decide to do it anyway. We face those fears because if you don't face them, you're, they're going to be chasing after you the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the whole thing. Like we said a second ago, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. You're going to have a lot of really great things in your future, Megan, but you're also going to have loss. Yeah. You're going to face adversity. You're going to have challenges. You're going to be betrayed. Perhaps things are going to happen in your life. And so how prepared are we for these inevitable things? And, and it's not to be a downer. It's just the reality. You know, there are a lot of beautiful, magical moments too. But we, if we bury our heads in the sand and, and all we're trying to do is avoid adversity, then we're not prepared because it's coming. No matter what. No matter how much we money can... you make, no matter who you are, no matter what you do for a living, no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter where you come from, it's happening to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I Just like you said earlier, there's no perfect life. Nobody's perfect. We are going to experience hard things because that's just part of the human experience is to, you know, uh, experience those hard things. Yeah. It's the deal on, it's the deal we came to planet earth with, right? It's like sign here. (laughs) This is what's going to happen. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen, but just know, you know, just know something is going to happen. (laughs) Right. And so, and that's not, so, and what I don't want people to take away from this is to go, oh my gosh, now I'm bracing myself. We're already doing that. That's what we're already doing because we we all already know life's hard and there are tough things. And so now we brace ourselves. We try to cling and grasp and grip that control thing we're talking about, right? We're trying to, let me just control everything and then I won't be blindsided. I think it's better if we spend our time learning how to be courageous, learning how to even do something like use the F word, not that one, because yeah. That one's flown out of my mouth many times. Oh, I'm but like, I'm talking... that's my favorite word. What? <laughs> I saw that on your on your bio and I thought, okay, she and I can get along. Yes. But um, but I'm talking about forgiveness because that takes a lot of courage too. Because I remember seeing a dateline or whatever, and you'd see these parents that would go, Well, I've forgiven the guy that murdered my daughter. And I think, are you crazy? Hell no. Nice. I would never. I would never. Like, I'm gonna hold something big over this guy, right? And um 
I would never, and he doesn't deserve it. And what I've learned, and unfortunately I had to learn it the first time Jamie was shot. I know that's so weird to say. It's weird to hear, right. but imagine saying it, right? Um, but I, I remember thinking to myself, well, do I want him to get out of prison and, and shoot someone else? Or would I right. rather he became a better person? Would I rather he turned his life around? So I started to pray for him. I started to hope that he did better in life. Um, and the main thing was, here's what we've learned. And, and it's taken my son a really long time. It took him until Jamie, after Jamie was murdered. And um, he was like, mom, okay, I finally understand I'm here because of all that BS you've been telling me, but I, but it's, <laughs> but it's good BS, right? right. So he said, uh, so what, what it is, is that we don't think about this guy that, that killed Jamie mm -hmm. other than, you know, we get court stuff all the time, or if there's a hearing or something, we don't think about him. We don't give him that power over us. And that's what it really is. And I know it sounds cliche when you say, oh, well, forgiveness is for yourself, but it's true. Mm -hmm. um, that there's a difference between justice and forgiveness. And we're not in the justice business. I, I don't work in law enforcement. I don't work in the court system. I'm not God, but I am in the forgiveness business because it sets you free, honestly. Um, but even something like that, my point is it takes courage to do that because you think, Oh, that makes me a weak person. If I go, oh, well, you know, I didn't say what he did was okay. What he right. did was evil. I want him to go to prison for the rest of his life. That's what I want. That's justice. But I'm not going to let him have that power over me. I mean, I, I've forgiven people. Um, people who listen to the podcast know that I have a really bad relationship with my mom. I had to cut her off. She's done some terrible things to me in my lifetime. And um, I, like you, even though it's a different situation, did find that I could forgive her. Now, that does not mean that she's going to be back in my life or that I'm going to put like put myself in that situation again to be verbally and emotionally abused. But it was really for me to say, like, you know what? I understand you've been through some shit in your life. Things have happened to you and that's why you are the way you are. And I forgive you for what you've done to me, but I am not going to let you do it anymore. And that's kind of like what you're saying. Good point. I'm glad you brought that up, Megan, because people get that misconstrued as well. They go, oh, well, you forgive and okay, we'll just skip down the road together. No, right. you don't have to stay in the snake pit. But you have to unburden yourself, you know, because what is it that, that Max Lucado said? Um unforgiveness is, oh, is, um, oh my gosh, I just forgot about it. basically like opening the, the cell to set yourself free and realizing you already had the key. The point mm -hmm. is that we, it, we're the ones that need, that are powerless when we allow anger or, um, resentment, unforgiveness that just festers inside of us. We're not free when we're living like that. I'm sure you can relate to that with your mom. Mm -hmm. Right. All you did was probably just agonize over it and you didn't want to probably talk to her, see her and yet all that stress. So yep. it's the same way with my biological father, I call him my sperm donor. So <laughs> my sperm donor, I just had to let him go. You know, I mean, I never even got a card when my, his only granddaughter was murdered, but whatever, but I let him go a long time ago, but I don't have, feel any anger toward him. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I don't have any space for that. Right. Right. And it eats away at you. Right. It eats away at you because you you focus on it and you ruminate on it. 
and you, you can't let it go. And it just takes up space in your head. And instead you can just be like, you know what? I forgive you. You do you, you do what you want to, but I'm not going to allow you to have that space inside my head or my life. Yeah, right. Exactly. But it takes a lot of courage to do that because people, because people are confused about that. They think Mm -hmm. forgiveness means you're giving it the rubber stamp. Okay. What you did was fine. No problem. That's not what it is. No, it's kind of like what you said with the the person who murdered your daughter. They're like, they will face their justice. They'll face their day in court. But for you, it was important that you are able to let it go and be like, you know what? You are going to deal with your, your demons and the consequences of your actions. But I don't need, I don't need to be part of that. I don't need to be the person that you take up space and that he takes up space in your head. No. And even, you know, when I saw him at the preliminary hearing, this was the weirdest thing. I don't know why he did this, but he, I've never seen the guy in my life. I've never heard, heard his name before. He turned around and snickered at me and laughed and taunted me sort of Oh my god! the mother of the murder victim. Okay. So I'm sitting in this courtroom going, wow, this is called pure evil. Now right. I won't, I won't tell you what I mouthed back at him because <laughs> <laughs> before the bailiff came over. Um, but I, even after that, I thought, you pathetic, pitiful little creature, you know? Uh, but again, I'm not going to run around thinking about that all the time. It's just, it, and not to mention, I'm not forgiving that person. Do you think he really gives a crap about me? Right. Right. He doesn't sit around thinking about me. So what What would I be doing if all I was doing was, was thinking about him? That again, that's not to say that we hope we'll finally get to trial one day and we hope we'll finally get to that verdict and we hope we'll hear guilty. But you know what? Even that, Megan, we have no control over any of it. Mm -hmm. We just have to keep living our lives, doing the best we can to honor Jamie because if if we didn't get better, and I say we, me, my husband and my son, if we didn't get better, that means that Jamie's story would end with addiction and murder, period. Right. I won't let her story end that way. I'm not going to pretend that everything she did was good and that she was, you know, didn't do the things that she did and wasn't living the life she was. I'm not, but her, she was worth more than her story ending with a murder trial. So I put a comma at the end of that story and we just move forward and do the best we can to make a difference in the world. And I think that's the best way to honor her. I feel like that is such a good attitude to have because this is, it's pretty serious stuff that happened. And um, I agree with you. If you had just let that consume you, then who would be able to remember her in a positive life? Like who would be able to do that and tell her story and, and uh, listening to you, I'm like, wow, she sounds like a very um, amazing individual you know, oh, and if yeah. it wasn't for you telling me that story and, and sharing with us, like all the, the amazing things about Jamie, not just the things that she did, like the addiction and things like that, who, who would know that about her if it wasn't for all of you sharing that? Right. And, and then on top of that, us taking what has happened to us, this adversity that everyone faces, if we don't do something good with it, then what was it all for? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thinking about, as I was thinking about that in this moment, looking at you and thinking, 
you probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. And if it was, it wouldn't be titled this. Had you not been the teenage mom, had you not had this thing with your mother, had you not had the suicide attempt, if it's the adversity that causes us that warrior, like I said earlier in you to rise up and say, otherwise, what do I do with those parts of my story? I'm Megan, right? What do I do with those parts of my story? I know I'll stuff them away and I'll just talk about how beautiful life is right now with my husband. But by you shining the light on that darkness, it gives somebody else permission to do the same and to say, Mm -hmm. wow, she overcame this. She's using this for good. Every time we do that, we give somebody else permission and proof because that's all you need is proof that one other person has been able to rise up to believe that you can do it too. I couldn't agree more. That is the whole point in the podcast is to share uh, women and non-binary individuals' personal experiences to inspire others. So they know, hey, this person got through this, I can get through it too. But as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? It's the hardest question of the entire time. (laughs) Yeah. Let me me just sum up the last 45 minutes. (laughs) I know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I would say though, I would like to invite any of your listeners that want to to go to warriorsandhope.com because I've decided to do something foolishly bold. I say foolishly kidding. <laughs> but my goal is to link arms with, inspire and empower a million women to disrupt their trauma and replace it with courage and hope. Because I think we've never been in such a hopeless dark place right now and What's it's so important to not feel like you're alone with whatever it is you're going through that you can rise up and that I just firmly believe we all have a warrior inside of us, but sometimes it, that that little warrior's been snuffed, right? It's been right. stuffed down so deep by whatever life has thrown at us. Um, but the minute you link arms with other people, it, you, you just feel so much more powerful. So I would just invite anybody that wants to go to warriorsandhope.com and join us. Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. So people can connect with you and I'll have, I'll link any links that you sent me, socials, whatever up in the show notes. So people can connect with you there too. Um, but Valerie, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story. You are most welcome. Thank you for having this podcast and for having me on. It was great talking with you. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.